0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining
1: us this week.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Kronstrom, CMO at Science.
1: And I'm Caroline Maloney. I'm the Director of Sales Training and Enablement at Science.
2: So we have a real heavyweight in the sales development space for today's podcast. His name for those that haven't heard him before is Josh Braun, you know, a little bit of his background in history. He spent over a decade as the VP of inside sales at Jellyvision, was the former head of sales at Basecamp, spent the last five years really developing his own sales training and consulting business at joshbraun.com.
1: Yeah, Eric, what a masterclass that podcast was. Josh imparts so much incredible wisdom, really, really interesting stuff about the zone of resistance and how to lower it. So for those of you who don't know what that is, be sure to listen. He also does some mock call, Role play work with Eric and I, which I think was really exciting for both of us, <laughs> sharpening our skills there. Great episode. We are so grateful that Josh joined us.
2: Yeah, you're you're going to hear a true master probably at the top of his game dispensing invaluable wisdom. Anyone who's in any role in sales development, this is the podcast for you. Without further ado, let's get to it. So we're back with Josh Braun. Josh. I got to say, just right off the bat, you know, we talked about this a little bit a second ago. We're huge fans. We're huge fans of the work that you do, which is diving really deep into kind of like the inside sales SDR world, prospecting writ large in all aspects. You have your own podcast your own consulting firm, where I think we should probably start is on some of the highest of high level lessons that you've learned over the years. um, Since you've kind of left the VP of sales roles that you've had in the past and gone out kind of like on the consulting front, what are some of the things that you're seeing or see on the regular that you would love to kind of share and dive in on?
0: So maybe you've experienced this. You go into a department store with an intent to buy something, and a sales associate walks up to you and says, can I help you? And your immediate reaction is, no thanks, I'm just looking. Even though you're, in fact, not just looking, you are, in fact, there to buy something. You say that because you're in what I call the zone of resistance. It's this natural reflex reaction to sales pressure, to being pushed, to being told what to do, to being talked into something. And so this is a very real thing that SDRs have to bump into all the time when they cold call prospects, which is the zone of resistance. Most sales training programs and SDRs are taught how to convince and to persuade and to talk people into things. And maybe there's a time for that. But the first job, really, and the thing that I'm seeing is people aren't equipped to lower the zone of resistance. So what ends up happening is they push harder. They try to overcome objections. They don't take no for an answer. They try to use manipulative techniques to try to get people to lower the zone of resistance. And whenever you do that, prospects can actually smell your commission breath. It smells really strong and they put up shields or they'll give you a fake yes and then won't show up for the meeting. And so what I'm seeing is a lack of training in how to lower the zone of resistance, to join the resistance so that people are just more open to having a conversation with you. That's one of the big things that I see and that I've been seeing for the first since I got into the game.
1: Love that. And, and I want to know too, Josh. So, if I'm a salesperson and I'm on a call and I hear a prospect saying something like, you know, now is not the right time, wrong quarter, no budget. And if I'm going with this, you know, don't persist or, or, or don't persuade, rather, how, how would you approach that? How would you coach a rep to respond there?
0: Yes, we have to back up a little bit. So, it starts with intent. What I mean by that is when your intent as a salesperson is, I got to talk everybody into a meeting with me. Everybody needs what I'm selling. Everyone's got this problem that I solve uniquely and everyone needs what I have. When that's your intent going into a call, when that's what you're thinking, what ends up happening is your thoughts affect what you say. So when your intent is, I got to talk everybody into everything, you end up sounding in ways that feel manipulative, salesy, and off-putting, and therefore people go into the zone of resistance. So it starts with intent, right? And so when you Detach from that, and you have this shift of, I'm going to let go of assumptions, and I'm not for everyone. Some people will be open to having a conversation with me, and some people won't. I won't know till I'm curious about their situation. It changes everything, because when you have different thoughts, you say things differently, and therefore, you lower the zone of resistance. So it really starts with intent, number one, shifting that, that millimeter, two-millimeter mindset shift to detaching from the outcome and being curious about someone's situation. and Then two, equally as important is that everybody that you call is not sitting around doing nothing. Everybody is solving the job today. When I hear someone tells me they have a vendor, how do I overcome this objection? I always say, that's not an objection. They have a vendor already. So In order for you to get someone's interest and keep it, you have to know something that the prospect doesn't know that can hurt them. I'll give you just a quick example, and we can go through a couple of these. Several years ago, I was in the mall with my wife, and I did not need anything. I was there keeping her company because we were going to grab dinner afterwards. And I walked into a fit-to-run store needing nothing. If the sales associate said, what brings you in today? I would have said, nothing. If she said, can I help you? I would have said, no. If she said, do you have any problems with your sneakers? I would have said, no. If she said, I've got these new sneakers that make you run faster and they're made out of this plyo foam, I would have said, nah, I'm good with my current sneakers. But she didn't do any of those things. She looked down at my sneakers. She said, are you a runner? I said, yes. She said, what distance? I said, well, I'm training for my first marathon. And she said this, have you ever had a running gait test? And I said, what's that? And moments later, I'm on a treadmill in the store running. She freezes the frame, zooms in on my ankles, and said, Josh, you notice how your ankles are over-pronating when you run? I'm like, yeah, so? She goes, well, if the problem is if you run in sneakers that are not made for pronated feet, you can get injured on long-distance runs. You can get shin splints, and your knees can hurt, and you can get sidelined for your marathon. And if you'd like, I could take a look at your sneakers to see if they're made for pronated feet. And 10 minutes later, I'm spending 170 fucking dollars on new sneakers and insoles. The point here is that oftentimes when you hear, I'm not interested, or I have to go to a meeting, it's self-inflicted by the rep because they're selling sneakers. And the prospect doesn't perceive what they're saying as being meaningfully different. I've got sneakers. So these first two steps are really critical, which is the right intent. And also, what's different? What are you saying before the prospect says that so that you're not in this defense mode? So you have to land on, what, what are you proposing that's meaningfully different than what they're using today? If they keep doing what they're doing, what terrible, no good, very bad thing might happen to them?
2: so funny you say that because I feel like, doesn't intent manifest itself most in tone?
0: So I think intent is, what, what, are you, what is your goal for getting into, when you make a cold call, for instance, what's my goal? Most salespeople, I got to book a meeting with everybody I talk to, if that's what you're thinking, because your thoughts affect your behavior, meaning what you say, what you think affects what you say. That's just basic neuroscience. What you think affects what you say. So if your goal is, I got to talk everybody into booking a meeting with him so I can hit my quota, when that's your intent, when you have this assumptive intent, you end up saying things that put people into the zone of resistance, naturally, because that's your intent, So about 10 years ago, I came to this realization that in order to change that, I have to start with my intent, meaning what's my goal? And so when I cold call people, my goal is this. I wonder if this person has a problem. Not they definitely have a problem. I got to pitch them. So my cold call approach is completely different. I'm learning about their current situation in a very non-threatening way to see if there's an opportunity rather than assuming there is one, because when we assume we pitch, we try to overcome, we talk people into things, we try to overcome objections in weird, awkward ways, and it, it it puts people in the zone of resistance. So I don't, it's certainly tonality is important, but it's a subset of intent.
1: And so I feel like I I feel like I kind of know the answer to this, but what do you think about reps using terms like valid or invalid objections? What do you think that subliminally does to a salesperson when they bucket objections like that?
0: Yeah, so so objections are either true or false. You maybe have experienced this, Caroline. Maybe you have or maybe you haven't. If someone's ever asked you to go to dinner, like a party, and you just weren't in the mood, maybe you said, you know, I got a headache. I don't want to go, even though you really don't. You just kind of say it because it's a like, awkward situation. Prospects do that all the time because salespeople put them in their zone of resistance. So they'll say things like, Send me a proposal. That's a good one. That could be true, meaning they really want a proposal to move forward, or the more likely scenario is they're saying that because they're telling you they have a headache. They don't know what else to say to get you off the phone, and you've created an environment where people are uncomfortable. So what I train reps to do is someone says, send me a proposal. I might say this, sounds like you're ready to move forward. And what you typically hear is, well, not exactly we don't have budget, it won't be this week, we can't do it then, I have to talk to my boss, all sorts of the real, the real reasons. And so part of when you start to hear objections is how can you use your language and your intent and your tonality to get to the truth behind the objection so that you don't chase red herrings. Uh, your, your price is too high. I might say, sounds like price is your only concern. Well, not exactly. We don't have budget for those or, or, or any number of things. Well, no, it's actually it's just price. Sounds like you might be comparing this to what you have or someone else. Yeah, you're you're higher than a lot of sales trainers. Seems like they can offer the same thing I'm offering for far less money. Well, not exactly the same. Well, what's not the same? And then they start to tell you your value proposition. And then you might say, I think it would make sense to put the pause button here so that you have some more time to review what your options are. See what I'm doing? I'm not overcoming anything. I'm really retreating and I'm moving with the objection. I call it joining the resistance to steal from Star Wars. I'm moving with it and I'm kind of leaning back from it.
2: That's very Jedi mind trick. And frankly, it works as someone who's been on the buy side for last 20 years (laughs) on the other end of virtually all cold calls, cold outreach. One of the things that, that you just did that I think was really useful for our audience and our really insightful takeaways is you slowed it all down, and frankly you're labeling you're labeling exactly what you just heard going forward, and isn't that the key?
0: yes, yeah, so so I learned this from Chris Voss. I was fortunate enough to have him on my podcast for people that are not familiar with him. He's a former FBI negotiator, turned best selling author because that's what FBI negotiators do when they're out of work. they write a great book, and you know what I realized when I was speaking to him was he's selling jail time. <laughs> Like, you know, and so what he has to do is on the phone in high stakes negotiations, meaning someone's life is on the line, is he has to be able to build trust very quickly. And the fastest way to build trust is to join the resistance. So one of the things that I heard him say when I was listening to his tapes, he actually has tapes of his negotiations when he was, you know, negotiating with bank hostages, is he would say things like to the to the to the bad guy, he would say you don't know how you got involved in this. You didn't think it was going to go this way. This thing really went sideways. This is what you thought was going to happen when you kind of got into the back. It's almost like he's not agreeing with them, but he's on their side. He's like making them feel like they're heard. And that's the secret to labeling is making people feel heard and understood. It's a superpower for getting people to sort of open up. Um, one One of the best stories I have of that is when he was on my podcast, And I still get a little goosebumps when I tell the story is he said, Hey, Josh, what's something you're passionate about? And I said, I like doing triathlons. And he said, what is it about triathlons that makes you so passionate? And I said, well, my dad always wanted to do one when he turned 50, but unfortunately he got cancer and he didn't make it. And then Chris Voss paused for what seemed like an eternity. And he said, this sounds like you are really close with your dad. And I kind of like stopped the podcast and like, I kind of moved off to the side. I'm like, what just happened there? He goes, that was what's called an oxytocin rush in your blood because I was labeling your underlying emotion better than you could actually label it. This is not repeating back what someone said. This is a tough skill. And I use this all the time in selling. If I ever feel in my gut that a deal is going sideways and you always have these moments, you're like, I better shut up and not lose the deal, label it. So I say things like this all the time. Sounds like I'm not being fair. Sounds like there's something here I'm not seeing feels like you got a concern here. And that just opens up the floodgates again, so you can get to more truth, which is, I think, the, the superpower.
2: That's almost a heuristic that you can use to kind of almost self-teach yourself. So any SDR, frankly, any SDR manager or SDR leader listening to this podcast, those two words sounds like are really powerful as kind of a, a forcing function, if you will. To train in similar ways to the ways that you've trained yourself, right, Josh?
0: I practice in my personal life. So sounds like, looks like, like, feels like, and then mirroring, which is the complement to that, which is repeating the last two or three words someone said. So if I was in a personal conversation with my wife, even though she knows I'm doing this, she kind of doesn't care because it makes her feel heard. So if she says something like, Josh, I don't want to go to Mexican food again, I might say, no Mexican food. a slight uptone as if to say, tell me more. That's 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 an example of mirroring. And what you'll find when you do that is you get more information. No, we've gone to Mexican five nights in a row. I want to go somewhere else. Somewhere else? Yeah, I want to go to Japanese. Sounds great. Let's go. Right? So you can practice these skills in your personal life with a barista, with your significant other, with your friends, because you can't get better at anything you haven't been taught or that you haven't practiced. We tell salespeople all the time, be a better listener. Well, I've never been taught how to be a better listener. So I can't get better at something I haven't been taught, and I can't get better at something I haven't practiced. It's like saying to a personal trainer, imagine a personal trainer on day one said, you go lose weight. Well, we tell that to salespeople all the time. But you've never been taught how to listen, and you've certainly never practiced it. In fact, you've been practicing it wrong for your whole life. So you got good at not listening because practice works, whether you're positive or negative, (laughs) it reinforces the negative. So knowing how to be a better listener is one thing, being taught it, and then practicing it daily is another thing. And, And one thing you can easily simply start with is just trying to not talk for two seconds after someone else is done talking. This is extremely difficult. You guys are excellent at this. You haven't stepped on my words once, but that's a skill because your brain is thinking, I want to chime in here, tell people how smart I am, especially on a discovery call. Or maybe you guys are muted. I don't know what your secret is, but that's a a skill. All right, so can you pause for two seconds after someone's done talking? This is what it sounds like. That was probably uncomfortable. That's a skill. You can kind of work out your ears like you work out your muscles in a gym.
2: Going back to something you just said, sounds like, looks like, feels like, it occurs to me that those are also very NLP-esque or neuro-linguistic programming type things that automatically cue the subconscious brain to pay attention. Because, you know, we're either visual learners, we're auditory learners, we're kinesthetic learners, or a combination of all of the above. So when we start sentences with those words, isn't that really the power?
0: I think the power is it makes people feel like you get them. Yeah. When it's done right, you know, when when Voss said to me, it sounds like you were really close with your dad, it's almost like he's describing the underlying emotion better than I could describe it. This is not repeating back what the other person said. This is getting to the core feeling, which is a skill. Now, Voss does this because he's been doing it for 25 years. And you listen to the tapes on the masterclass, you're like, wow, how does the guy do it? And I asked him that on the podcast, he goes, I've been doing this for 25 years. And it gets back to, if you want to be good at guitar, you have to deliberately practice guitar deliberately for five or six years to get pretty good, not even great. And yet people think, I read this Chris Voss book, I know about labels, and therefore I can do it. No, you have to understand it and be taught it, but then you got to deliberately practice it and burn it in, and it's a process. Labeling is difficult to really understand It requires you to really put yourself in the other person's shoes without judging. So the next time you're in a situation with someone who has a different political view than you or a different vaccine point of view than you, rather than turning the judgment switch on and trying to talk them into your point of view, how could you use mirrors and labels to understand their point of view, even if you don't agree with it? So I was out with a couple, three weeks ago, and this person was opposed to getting the vaccine. And my wife is the opposite of that. And she gets into it with this person and starts to try to convince him all the reasons why he should get vaccinated. And of course, that does not work. In fact, people dig their heels in even deeper. It's called the backfire effect because people don't like being told what to do. It just doesn't work. So instead, you might want to say something like this. Sounds like you've done a lot of research. Your body, your choice. I haven't seen that research. Where would you see that? Sounds like your body's natural immune system can handle all these things. This latest strand doesn't seem so serious. You're in good shape. I'm not agreeing necessarily, but I'm certainly making the person feel like you get them. And eventually what ends up happening almost all the time when you do that is the other person says, that's right, man, you, you kind of get me because you're not going to change anyone's mind. Never in the history of the world have I ever seen anyone change their mind, <laughs> especially at a dinner table, political vaccine. No one ever said, you know what, Josh, you make a great point. I should get vaccinated. I'm going to go out tomorrow. doesn't ever happen. And yet everyone thinks, I got to talk them into it. Same thing in sales. Doesn't work. Talking people into things doesn't work. And we're trained to convince and persuade. It's, it's, that's, the, that's the biggest problem.
1: It sounds like so many of these skills, Josh, are like empathy, empathy-related skills, right? And one of the biggest questions I have for you is, you know, what, what do you think a sales development rep can do or a salesperson can do? Within those first ten seconds, which I would argue are probably the most important seconds of a cold call, right, to build familiarity quickly and effectively. What, what do you think? What do you think about that?
0: Well, let's role play it. We'll do it in real time so people can make this make this real. We'll stop talking about theory for a second. So let's just actually we'll do a real scenario. So let's imagine for a second, Caroline, that you are a triathlete. And for people that are not sure what this crazy sport is, it's when you swim, bike, and run. And there's different distances, but let's say you're training for an Ironman, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 114 miles on a bike, and then a marathon, 26.2 miles, all in succession. It's a crazy thing. Let's say you're a triathlon coach, and you're trying to get clients. Before I pick up the phone, if I'm a triathlon coach, I got to know a lot about triathlons. That's the first problem. If I'm a triathlon coach, coach calling a triathlete, they're going to smell pretty quickly that I have no idea what I'm talking about. There's a tip off. Like, Caroline, you mentioned that you're an actress. I would imagine that if you were talking to another actress or actor, you'd know pretty quickly because of the things they would say or vocabulary that they were like an insider. So the first thing here is if you've never been a triathlete, which you probably haven't, If you're selling hr solutions you got to start by getting deep into their world listen to podcasts industry news get the lingo because if you're barking words at people they're going to be able to know they're going to be tipped off like this person's not one of me so it starts with i'm calling you you're a you're a you're an athlete training for a triathlon i'm a triathlon coach i've done a ton of triathlons and my goal is to see how are you doing these triathlon trainings today. That's going to be my first goal. Second thing is I have to have a perspective, meaning you're not not training for an Ironman. You're not sitting around eating bonbons. I know that you're doing it in one of three ways. You either have a coach, you're doing it on your own, or you're using a a training program. Now, if you're doing it on your own and you're using a training program, one of those two options, I know that you're probably spending 15 to 20 hours a week training because that's what traditional programs are always doing. And so what's the problem with that? If you're training 20 hours a week and you have a family, that can put a strain on your family. In the divorce, in the, in the, in the triathlon world, we call it divorce by triathlon. It's real because of the time. So let's say as a triathlon coach, I have a new training program that allows you to feel confident starting the race and finishing the race, but with only 10 hours of training a week. Why is that better? No divorce by triathlon. You can balance your work family life with training for a triathlon. You don't have to eat dinner at three o'clock and clean out the fridge. You don't have to eat all the Oreos out of the cupboard. The reason I know all these things is because I've lived it. So before we pick up the phone and start to talk about scripting, we got to have this stuff in place. This is the hard stuff. I got to have a perspective and a point of view. If they keep doing nothing, what happens? 20 hours a week, divorced by triathlon, straining the family and kids, losing Sundays because they're sleeping all Sunday, all because of the training regimen. And imagine as a triathlon coach, I have a program 10 hours a week. Now I can make a cold call that sounds like this. And Caroline, you're gonna play the the role of the prospect. Again, you're a triathlete, and I'm gonna call you and you're gonna pick up the phone. Ring, ring, ring. You're gonna say hello.
1: Ring, ring, ring. Hello.
0: Hi, Caroline. My name is Josh. We have never spoken before. Complete stranger here. Don't rack your brain trying to figure out who I am. I was hoping you could help me out for a moment. Uh, do you have two minutes?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I have a minute.
0: Thanks so much. I, I promise to be brief. I'm working with several athletes in the Boca Tri Group, and I came across your name and was wondering, are you training for a race this year or are you sitting this season out? Oh, I'm training. You're training? What, are you, what race are you training for?
1: The Massachusetts Wonder Woman race.
0: Ooh, that's a good one. What was it about that race that made you select it?
1: Uh, the title and the severity of the race. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really excited to bring, that, to bring that title back.
0: That is a tough one. And are you, are you training by yourself? Do you have a program? You're working with a coach?
1: Um, it's a combination of program and some solo work. Yeah. Okay, okay
0: out of role play for a second. Now, Caroline, what would you notice about what I did there?
1: You validated, you validated my why. You made me feel really good about the reason why I want to do this race. Um, you gave me some options to pick from. You made it easy for me, right? It's a binary choice. Are you doing this or this? Easy. I'm doing this, or in my case, a combination of this and this. Um, so you made it easy for me, and you validated me.
0: What I'm also trying to do is figure out, do we have a problem here? Because you could have said to me, I'm not training for a race, and the traditional cold calling approach is I'm going to pitch my coach value prop at you. Meanwhile, you're not doing race. So my next question might be, how's that training been going for you so far? How's it been going?
1: Okay. It's, it's, it's long. It's, uh, it's tiring, but it is worth it. Right. At the end of the day, it's, it's worth it.
0: Yeah. I don't know if this has been your experience, Caroline, but many of the athletes I speak to that are using a combination approach like you are spending like anywhere from 15 to 20 hours a week training how does that compare to your experience? you like a little bit more, a little bit less.
1: Yeah, they're lacking. I'm spending like 30 hours a week training. I don't know what they're doing. It typically
0: happens when you go down this path. If we kept going, eventually Caroline's going to say to me, I'm sorry, wh- what do you do? What's this about? And now the whole thing is flipped around. And, and then now I can start to talk about maybe how I could potentially help, right? So it's, a very, it's the, the pitch, so to speak, is at the end of the call. I might say something like this. Um, I know you're all set and you're a couple months into the training season, but I'm wondering if you would be completely opposed, if it would be completely out of the question for you to learn about a different methodology for finishing that race, but with only spending 10 hours a week training. Is that something you'd be against learning about? I know not for now, but just so you can have it in your back pocket. That's kind of where this would, we'd kind of go with this a little bit. Notice I'm not, structuring the call in a way that's saying I'm not interested because I'm not pitching anything at the beginning. I'm trying to figure out how are they doing the job today and is there a problem? Are they spending a lot of time or do they have a coach? If they have a coach, they're probably not going to switch. But if they're doing it on their own or a training program might be a fit. Again, I'm not assuming if she's using a training program, if she's using a coach, I'm going to get out. Chances are I'm not going to switch and I'm going to find people that are using a training program because I'm not for everyone. Well, I'm not for everyone. That's kind of the mantra, it. right? That's kind of the mantra there is you have to be like not for everyone. If someone's using a tri coach or they're not doing a triathlon, there's no need to continue the conversation. I was on a cold call last week, prospect picked up and said I'm not working there anymore. I'm retired. And the rep said, "Can I just have 37 seconds to tell you what I do?" Instead of saying, like, oh, "Caroline, you're you're an actress. You'd be good at this." Prospect says, "Hey Caroline, I don't work here anymore." I just retired. What would you say?
1: Oh, congratulations on your retirement. That's exciting. I'm, I'm glad that you got to achieve that. How, how long were you working there?
0: Yeah. Or what are you doing that's going to make me jealous?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> here's, here's another one. Here's another one I got. I'll test you again, Caroline. Here's another one that I got last week. Prospect said this, and you're going to be good at this. Women are usually better at this than men for some reason. I don't know why. So I'm going to be the prospect. Hey, Caroline, I can't talk right now. Because I'm going to the hospital.
1: Oh, my goodness. I'm, that sounds so stressful. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, let, me, to let me let you go so that you can go deal with what's happening in your life right now.
0: Yeah, not, can I have 37 sexes tell you why I called?
1: God, no. You might
0: say, um, uh, is everything okay? Yeah. Something like that, right? But when yeah. your intent, this gets back to it, when your intent is to book a meeting with everyone, then you start to overcome that. You see that as an objection. So instead, you got to do this. You got to do this. Got to detach. Ah, yes. Got de- to detach from the outcome. When you detach from the outcome, when someone says, "Hey, uh, Caroline, I can't talk." Here, Eric. Eric, I can't talk right now. I'm on. It's Wednesday at three o'clock. I can't talk right now. I'm on a boat.
2: Wow. Wednesday afternoon on a boat. Uh, tell me the sun's shining and you're. You got a cocktail in your hand too.
0: Yeah. Now you. Now here's something else you could do. Wednesday at three o'clock on a boat. How did you do that? How do I get to do that? What's your secret? <laughs> right. right, like it's this, it, this. is what happens when you. Hey, um, Caroline, I can't talk right now. I'm at the gym.
1: Sounds like uh, it. Sounds like you're doing more than I've done all week. <laughs> Good for you.
0: How could you uh, turn that? Into, how could you turn it into a question? Questions get people talking. When you questions spark. So wh- how about you turn that into a question? Hey, I can't. I can't talk right now. I'm at the gym.
1: Wow, two eighteen p.m. on a Friday, and you're already at the gym. That's awesome. I'm sure you crushed your tasks today. (laughs) You you sound like you have really great time management.
0: Yeah, or you could say this: backer buys. Is it leg day? Do you want to skip and talk to me? (laughs) Right, like this is where your acting and background can come in. Your your improv skills and your thespian skills. It's like, and if you can make people feel something on a cold call, you're golden. One of my best cold calls that I ever made was to Geico, that I eventually landed after seven months. And one of the first cold calls I made was to the admin, executive admin, to the guy that I wanted to connect with. Um, his name was Jess Reed, and she picked up the phone, and I heard her eating, like she was eat, like I heard her eating something. And she lived in California, and I said hopefully I'm not prying too much. Is that avocado toast? Doesn't everyone in California eat avocado toast? Does it have Himalayan sea salt on it? She spits the thing out of her mouth and starts cracking up and says, oh my God, how did you know I was eating avocado toast? And then from that moment on, the avocado thing became a thing. I would send her avocados. I would send her Himalayan. This goes great with avocado toast. This goes good on this. paprika. have you tried this? It became a thing that I was known for and eventually I made her feel good. And I ended up connecting with Jess and we ended up getting that deal. And it was, it was very lucrative, um, but it was only because I was in the moment. I wasn't saying, can I have 37 seconds? To tell you why I'm calling.
2: You're being human first at the end I'm of the detaching.
0: day. Yeah, I'm detaching. I'm just like, yeah, just like someone's eating avocado. Whenever I hear a dog barking on a discovery call, I, and it happens all the time now on Zoom. I will, always, I will always pick up on that. I'm always looking for things. I'm looking for things on the wall. I'm listening to dogs bark. I say, is that a pit bull? Does it bite salespeople? Should I get off the phone right now? No, it's a chihuahua. Oh, it sounded vicious. I think I should end the call. One of my, another great discovery call I had with someone uh, earlier this year, I Googled, was Googling her and I saw a YouTube clip of this woman at their company party. And she was wearing these like really bright red, I mean, redder pants that I've ever seen in my life, even at a Christmas party. And so the, instead of when she joined the discovery call, traditional thing is, uh, we have 30 minutes. Does that work for you? Does that work for me? The like upfront contract, all that stuff. I just said this. Those are the reddest pants I've ever seen at a Christmas party. Where did you get those? And she just like lost, she almost spit out her coffee. Like that's how you start a call with someone. <laughs> like someone else had a long beard that i saw on linkedin i go how long does it take to grow something like that that's the first thing i say on a discovery call not do you still have 30 minutes i'm going to have some questions for you you're going to have some questions for me and then at the end we can see if we want to move forward like who talks like that in the real world you know like what's your current process like just like you know you go you you we build a little rapport at the beginning in an unconventional way and you can do this now with linkedin very easily like how does someone go from being a scientist to a VP of sales? Why not stay in science? Don't we need scientists? The world does not need another VP of sales. Go. Like that's how, that's my personality. And you know, that, does, that, does everyone like lean into that? No, but enough people do because I'm not for everyone, remember? I'm not for everyone. There. <laughs>
2: I love these hats. They really convey the message.
0: (laughs) You're doing great, too. Everyone out there is doing great. Ego kills talent. You know.
2: How many hats are we talking about here? (laughs) (laughs) I have for every occasion. Think this. I do have
0: about 30 of these. Wow. This This is probably one of my favorite ones
2: in sales. You don't control other people, for those listening.
0: Yeah, you don't control... How people interpret your message or how they respond. And sometimes, salespeople, we get caught up on thinking we control things. Well, we don't. And that's a recipe for being angry and upset all the time, even in your personal life. There was a guy in the airport not too long ago angry because the plane was delayed for maintenance twice. And he was angry at the plane as if the plane was doing this to him because he thinks he controls the plane. So he's angry and pissed off all the time. This airline sucks. The plane has been delayed twice. Instead of, hey, the, it, they kind of are doing this for you, not to you. So that, that relates to sales all the time. We, get, we think we could talk people into things. And we think we could control when or if people buy. We can't. We let go of that and just control what we can control, what we say and how we sound. It's just more freeing.
2: Well, isn't it also that when you lead with curiosity, people become curious back? Because we're human mirrors of one another, very evolutionary brain type stuff. One of the things you just said that was also intriguing to me, you led one of your phrases with I noticed, which I think is also a huge heuristic or a, you know, a forcing function if you can, you know, move into your language. And the main reason is because anything that's on the other side of I noticed is usually about the person, the circumstance, the situation, the other that you're dealing with. And thus way more interesting than anything <laughs> that you would be kind of pitching.
0: Yeah. I think it provides context. You know, look, the, the, the best way to make a cold call is if I were to call Caroline and say, Hey, Caroline, my name is Josh. Eric suggested that I contact you. You got a sec. So all I'm doing here is I'm sort of mirroring that. Hey, um, Caroline, uh, working with a few athletes in the Boca tri group. Oh, I'm in the Boca tri group came across your name. Hey, working with several fintech companies in the South Florida area, came across your name. I have no idea if I may have been in the right place. Are, are you still heading up sales enablement group over there or am I like way off base? Uh, yeah, I'm still heading this out. What's this about? Yeah. You know, So that's kind of what I'm doing is I'm trying to like create some kind of connection. And the story I tell is this, this, is, this might burn this in for a lot of people listening. If I were to walk into a Starbucks, And Caroline was sitting down there, and I approached her, not in a creepy way, and I said, hey, Caroline, how's it going? My name is Josh. How's it going today? What are you drinking? Isn't this a great day? She might be like, this guy's really like creepy. But imagine if I said this. She was sitting there drinking a coffee, and I walked up to her, and I said this. Caroline, I know I'm interrupting you, but I'm new to this area and was hoping I could ask you a couple questions. You might say, sure, because I provided some context. So many times salespeople don't provide that context. And so the other person's like, I don't even, what is this? What, what's the context here? But just by making that small context shift of I'm new to this area, I came across you because I'm working with some other people. And I came across your name because I was doing some research in the Boca Raton real estate market. It just, it makes people feel more relaxed. It lowers the zone of resistance.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing a couple of things there. You're addressing the question before it even gets asked. And your tone is like kind of what I like to refer to as lost in New York, right? You're, you're approaching someone with humility. Hey, I, Josh, I, I don't know you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. You're drinking your coffee. looks delicious. Yes. Uh, yes. I got to ask you something, Josh, though, you know, can you help me get to this, uh, this library?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, Chris Voss calls this an accusations audit, right? You, you, you get out all the, you, you label the negative things people are probably thinking. One of my favorite ways to open up a cold call is I'll say something like this. Uh, hey, Eric, you're probably going to hate me because this is a cold call. Would you like to hang up or roll the dice? You feeling lucky today? What's up? So I'm labeling, yeah, you probably hate this. You know, so you're labeling the negative Emotionally, the other person is feeling. Hey, uh, Caroline, I, I know you probably want to be left alone at Starbucks. You don't want some stranger walking up to you. I'm new to this area. I was hoping I could ask you a quick question. Uh, sure. You're kind of labeling the negative thing that people are probably thinking when a stranger approaches. And as Chris Foss says, when you label the negatives, you diffuse the negatives
2: and you also trigger the help instinct in in those exact scenarios. So again, back to humans being human first before their title, role, company they work for, budget they hold, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're, we're still all human. The example I like to use for our own SDRs and kind of teaching and training sessions is, you know, anyone ever been uh, lost in a city you've never been to before? And, and, you know, like lost in New York, like Caroline was saying. And you rolled up to somebody and you asked for, Directions to the nearest coffee shop or what have you. And and they took two steps forward and smacked you upside the head, right? Because that's what people do with strangers, right? Like they, they treat them. No, that's never happened. Oh, that's surprising, right? Because ultimately you triggered the help instinct of people that you didn't know, strangers who just wanted to get you on your way from A to B.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I love using that. That's phenomenal the way you teach that. I really love that context. It really burns it in, and I love that opening. It's one of my favorite openers on a cold call. You know, I'll, and in a calm voice, I'll say, "Hey, hey, Caroline. Uh, my name is Josh. We've never spoken before, and I know you weren't expecting my call, but I was hoping you could help me out for a moment. You got a minute? Uh, sure. What's about? It's just it's inviting." because to your point, we're we're sort of hardwired biologically when someone's lying on the ground with their hand up to say, sure. Now, does this work that way every single time? Do you have some people that are rude and angry when people call? Of course. Whenever I run, one out of 10 dogs will bark at me, but it's only one out of 10. And it's not the dog's fault. Perhaps I startled the dog. Perhaps it was how the dog was raised. Perhaps it's the dog's disposition. But knowing that it's only one out of 10 dogs turns the volume down in my brain. It's the same thing with prospects. One out of 10 are going to be rude and angry. It's not their fault. Perhaps they had some bad experiences with salespeople that are under a lot of pressure. Who knows what? But most are not like that. And so how do you deal with a barking dog? You join the resistance. Prospect says, I don't want a salesperson calling me at 6.30 at night. You'll pause and you'll say, I'm so sorry. I feel like a jerk. I thought I was calling the East Coast. And what you'll typically find when you do that is the dog starts to bark a little less. And then you just keep running. (laughs) Verbal Aikido, you're kind of, again, you're joining the resistance. So, So, so much of this too is like knowing that when you cold call, even if you're great at it, You're still going to have a rude or angry prospect. Marcus Aurelius said, a world without rude and angry people is not possible. You don't control rude or angry people. You only control your reaction to those people. And you can use these skills to join the resistance in a calm way and move on and just keep running. Because nine out of ten dogs don't bark. They're quite friendly, actually.
2: The interest of time, um, one of the things that I think would be very useful because I sense that there is a lot more content, a lot more tips, frankly, a lot more insights behind your teachings and trainings, Josh, that I, I think would be very useful for our audience to get more of. Would you mind sharing some of the, the ways that they can either follow you, connect with you, or otherwise check out your website?
0: Yeah. So I'm on TikTok all the time. So Joshua underscore Braun, I do not dance and I am not scantily clad. So if that's a deal breaker for any of you, I'm so <laughs> sorry to disappoint. Trust me. I also don't have an OnlyFans page for anyone wondering. I'm sorry, again, to disappoint everybody out there. It's, I know people are like, oh, I wish he had an only-. I do not. I'm sorry. But Joshua underscore Braun on TikTok. Yes. The 51-year-old Jew is on TikTok in full force. Uh, my website, joshbraun.com my podcast, Inside Selling, and of course, on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm on there all the time
2: as well.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> Thank Way you. to
2: finish strong. That yeah. was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been a great episode. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Josh.
0: Thank you guys for having me.